Welcome to the Courageous Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Peggy Oliveira, former trauma therapist and survivor of childhood trauma. I am so glad you're here. Grab your favorite beverage, get settled in, and let's take this journey together. Trauma-informed. What is it? What does it mean? And is it enough? So have you been seeing trauma-informed in different places? It's something that's been around for a while, um, but I've definitely been seeing it a lot more in the last few years or so. Um, and I thought I wanted, to, I thought it would be good to do this video because where I'm seeing it pop up more is with people who are wanting you to hire them to help heal your trauma. Um, and so they're identifying as being trauma informed. And so therefore they're in a position to be able to help you heal trauma. So, um, one of the kind of difficulties with trauma informed is that there is no standard for what that actually means. So what it is kind of supposed to mean, um, is that somebody, a professional, has a basic awareness and understanding of the fact that people experience trauma and how to do their work in a way that reduces a risk of re-traumatizing or triggering a trauma survivor. That's really what it means. Um, now, depending on the particular profession, there may be some other nuanced pieces to that. But again, there's no standard, so it makes it quite challenging to understand because there are people who read a book on something related to trauma and identify then as trauma-informed. There are psychotherapists who have been in the clinical field for a while, who go to some trainings on trauma and may identify as trauma-informed. So there's a pretty big difference between those two things, right? But they can both call themselves trauma-informed. So for people that can be trauma-informed, again, it could be somebody who's read a book, it could be somebody who, and that's whatever their profession is, could some be somebody who's gone to some trainings on the reality of trauma, the impact of trauma, some techniques to help with trauma, it can mean any number of things. So trauma-informed is a good thing. We want people in professional roles who might be working with somebody who is a trauma survivor, we want them to have an understanding of how their work or what they're doing, how they're showing up may impact their client or the kinds of struggles that a client might have. So for example, one of the ways or one of the areas that you might see trauma-informed quite often is in yoga. And... um most of you probably know that I recommend yoga a lot. I think that yoga is an important 
thing for just our well-being in general, but even as a trauma survivor, I think that being able to really work on connecting with your body, really feeling into your body and noticing and paying attention, um, there's a lot of healing that happens in that for sure. Um, but what does it mean for a yoga instructor, for example, to be trauma-informed? Again, you might ask 10 different yoga instructors and they might tell you something different depending on what that means to them. But generally speaking, what it's going to mean is that they are going to have an understanding that in a class of, say, 15 people, that there's a strong likelihood that at least one person in there is likely a trauma survivor of some sort. And so when they are teaching their class, they're going to give you instruction with that awareness in mind. So for example, yoga instructors often will try to make sure that you're in the correct position. So if you're moving into a particular pose, they may come around and adjust your posture, um, which is a good thing, right? We want to learn how to do yoga and, and hold the pose in the correct way so that we get the benefit from it. Well, if somebody is trauma-informed, then they are likely going to ask you if it's okay that they touch you. They're going to be mindful of how they're touching you, where they're touching you. If they are um, helping you or guiding you through a meditation or a breathing exercise, they're going to be more aware that for some people that may feel um, uncomfortable. So they may say, if it feels comfortable to you, do this. Because one of the things about being a trauma survivor is we don't often say, even to ourselves, like, no, that doesn't feel okay to me. I'm not going to do it. If somebody tells us in a yoga class to, to put our hand over our lower belly, we're going to think we should be able to do that. And so even if it feels really uncomfortable, unsettling, maybe even triggers something, maybe difficulty breathing, there's a good chance that a trauma survivor is going to try to do it anyway because they think that they should be able to, um, among other things, but they're not going to want to make a scene. They're not going to want to be seen as being silly or whatever. So a trauma-informed yoga instructor is going to talk about it in a way that if it feels comfortable to you, they're going to encourage you to notice what's happening in your body and respond to that. Don't push yourself past a certain point. Don't do something that feels uncomfortable. That's a good thing. Teachers. Um, this is becoming a little bit more common, though not nearly enough. Trauma-informed teachers. That's a really good thing. Because then when teachers are teaching their students, and they have a student who maybe suddenly their behavior changes quite a bit, or their, um, if they were a particularly good student and now they're not, a trauma-informed teacher is going to be aware. They will have learned, hopefully, um, how children respond to trauma and what that can look like in a classroom. And so they're going to look at that student through the lens of being trauma-informed versus looking at that student, whether it's a behavioral issue or maybe difficulty concentrating, maybe withdrawing and isolating. They're going to look at that student through that lens of, are any of these symptoms or signs potential trauma? 
this is the important part, not so that they can help that student through their trauma, but so that they can respond to that student from that place, so that they can, instead of calling that student out in front of the whole classroom, they might um, approach that student another time in private and talk to them and ask them if everything's okay. Instead of saying, hey, Lisa, why aren't you paying attention? Or Lisa, why don't you answer that when they know that you haven't been listening? We want trauma-informed. Trauma-informed professionals are going to do a much better job with their traumatized clients, whether they know that they're traumatized or not. And really, it just kind of gives them a really helpful understanding and awareness that people have different issues. (laughs) Um, But we're not going to ask that teacher to help heal that child's trauma. Right? We're going to, that teacher is going to identify maybe there's something going on here. Maybe that teacher then talks to the school social worker or a counselor within the school or potentially the principal, whatever, nurse. And then they can get the help that that student needs. So they're going to refer them to the appropriate professional to help them work through their trauma. The teacher isn't going to be the one to do that. Doctors, we want trauma informed doctors. Doctors should have an understanding, and it's amazing to me how many don't, um, but doctors should have an understanding that when they're working with a patient, they should have the understanding and work through the lens of the significant amount of trauma that people experience and how that can show up in terms of how we present, what it can, sh- what it can look like in terms of symptoms, um, and that definitely has changed. Um, but there's a lot of gynecologists, there's a lot of urologists, apparently, <laughs> that are not trauma-informed, that have no training on working with patients who have trauma, particularly sexual trauma. How crazy is that? So trauma-informed doctors is a good thing, a very good thing. To me, it seems like a necessary thing. Having a dentist who is trauma-informed would be really helpful because a lot of people that have particularly sexual trauma um, or even physical trauma as children, going to a dentist is a very vulnerable thing to do. Um, There's a a pretty significant loss of power, uh, personal power in that position. And so having a trauma-informed dentist would be a really good thing. Again, though, we're not going to look to them to heal the trauma. Just as if you are diagnosed with cancer, you're likely going to want to see an oncologist. Not only are you likely going to want to see an oncologist, but you are likely going to want an oncologist who has experience with your particular type of cancer. That makes sense, right? You're going to do that because you know that, first of all, they're a doctor, so they've got plenty of education and training. They have advanced training beyond that in cancer, in treating cancer, in understanding all the pieces of cancer. And you want to see them because you know that they have that and they are the best person to see. 
you're likely not going to see your family physician for cancer treatment. And there's a reason for that. You might work with a nutritionist and and maybe a cancer-informed, I don't know if that's necessarily a term, but you might work with a nutritionist who has experience in particular working with cancer patients. Because working on nutrition when you are diagnosed or going through treatment for cancer, that's probably a good thing, but you're not going to solely see a nutritionist to help treat your cancer. Um, You might work with a um, energy healer to help with energy healing for your cancer treatment. That might be a good benefit, but the energy healer like Reiki or um, or even like massage or something like that, those things can be beneficial, but you're not going to go to them solely or, or you're not going to see that person only for your cancer treatment. But they can be an adjunct to your cancer treatment. They can provide benefit to the treatment that you're getting. Mindfulness and meditation can be a really, really helpful thing when you're going through cancer treatment. There have been studies done on this, but you're not going to go to a mindfulness or meditation center and expect that that is going to cure your cancer. So even though you might do all of those things with people that have experience working with people with cancer or have some specific cancer-informed type of training, but you're not going to go to them to heal or cure your cancer. I don't know why it seems so different that when it comes to mental health and psychological trauma in particular, that there's an idea that we can see people or or work with people or that people can read a book or take a course and be able to help heal psychological trauma. So in answer to, is it enough? No. When you have psychological trauma, particularly prolonged trauma, interpersonal trauma, childhood trauma, it is not enough. Psychological trauma, in some aspects, in terms of the depth of care and understanding needed, is not that much different than cancer treatment. Psychological trauma is multi-layered. It impacts everything in our being. There are so many layers and nuanced aspects. The idea that we can see somebody who has no education, no clinical training, no experience, in that realm can help you heal your multi-layered psychological trauma. It's just not accurate. Now, there are absolutely people that are not clinical who can help. They can help with symptoms. They can help with mindset. Um, They can help like massage therapy and yoga even coaches can help with mindset or, or how um, to kind of work through very specific things at times. 
but a trauma-informed paraprofessional, or even somebody who's not a paraprofessional, the reality is they do not have the qualifications necessary, the clinical understanding of what it means to be a trauma survivor, nor what it takes to heal it. Now, I do want to say this too. I have friends who are coaches, so I'm not completely against working with a coach. But what I have seen is, and and it's not the people, I, I believe that anybody who's doing this has a desire to help people. Um, and a lot of these people are also trauma survivors. I believe that they have a desire to help people. But they're seeing this trauma-informed thing stuff. They're seeing people offering certifications to become trauma-informed so you can help people heal their, heal, heal their trauma, sorry. Um, and so they think, oh, yes, I want to do that. And so they do that, thinking that they can then help people heal their trauma. And they can't. There is a big difference between peer support or, again, paraprofessional and a clinically trained professional. (laughs) So I said paraprofessional a couple of times. So I'll give you an example in the mental health field, okay? So in the mental health field, there are clinical professionals and there are paraprofessionals. So in a in a mental health type of setting, you will have a psychotherapist. So a psychotherapist, so in, in the U.S. anyway, it could be different in different countries. In the U.S., to be a psychotherapist, you have to have a minimum of a master's degree in some sort of field, marriage and family therapy, counseling, psychology, social work. Um, you have to have a master's degree You have to have a couple of years of experience before you can sit for your exam. You sit for your exam. You have to pass your exam, obviously. Um, And then you can be a therapist, um, a clinical therapist in in a private practice setting. You don't technically have to be clinically licensed to provide therapy in a mental health organization where you've got supervisors who are independently clinically trained. Um, So those are the professionals. So they provide therapy. You also have paraprofessionals. And generally in a mental health setting, a paraprofessional is somebody with a bachelor's level degree. So they still have a college degree. They still have a certain level of education and training. And in social work, you actually, as a a bachelor's level or at a bachelor's level in social work, you have to have an internship as well. Um, some other programs you can do an internship as, as well, but social work, it's actually required. Um, but a paraprofessional is a minimum bachelor's level person um, who can provide other functions within a mental health type of setting. So for example, when I worked in addiction, I was a paraprofessional because it was at a bachelor's level. Um, so we had our clinicians who did the therapy. And then for me as a paraprofessional, I led groups. I sat with the clients um, 
I was in with them. I worked in an inpatient unit. So uh, us as paraprofessionals would basically kind of hang out with them. We sat with them during meals. We led groups. Um, but we were not qualified to do the healing, to do the addiction work because we were paraprofessionals. We did not have the clinical training. We did not have the advanced degree. We did not sit for a clinical exam. So in a different type of, like an inpatient psychiatric unit, it would be kind of a similar thing. You would have the professional clinicians who would do the therapy, and they might even lead some of the groups depending on what they are. But then you might have some paraprofessionals who provide a very important function, a very necessary function, but they are not, their role is not to do the healing work because they don't have the advanced education and they don't have the clinical training. But their purpose is still very important. Their role is very um, necessary to a program like that. They often have, um, they have more interaction typically with the people on the unit because they're there and they're constantly interacting. They lead groups. They write important reports to give to the clinician so that they have a better understanding of what's happening when they're not there. And again, trauma-informed, so addiction or inpatient psychiatric unit, um, ideally eating disorder program inpatient, they hopefully would be trauma-informed, particularly like in an eating disorder or addiction. They would be trauma-informed, hopefully, um, but they're still not qualified to do the work of helping somebody heal their trauma. But the clinician, again, particularly maybe in addiction or eating disorder clinics, the clinician hopefully is going to have a lot of training specific to healing trauma because addiction and eating disorders are very closely linked to trauma. Um, so I hope that that helps you understand a little bit of the difference there. So, and I'm saying this also for people who may read a book or take a course or something to become trauma-informed, to understand what that actually means. Because there is a huge difference and a very important distinction to make. And even for myself as a trauma therapist, so I have been working with survivors of sexual abuse and assault for 20 years. I no longer do therapy specifically any longer, but I'm still working with trauma survivors in different capacities. When I did have my private practice, I mean, I don't do it now either, but even when I had my private practice, if I, if somebody contacted me and they were actively addicted to a substance in particular, I would not work with them until they were able to work on their addiction. So I would refer them to an addiction specialist to try to get that under control so that we could then work on the trauma. And I would do that because I don't have a lot of specific training in treating addiction. That wasn't the area that I wanted to go into. And because even as a trauma therapist with 15 years experience, 10 years experience, if somebody came to me with an addiction, I would refer them to somebody that had 
the training needed to work with somebody who is actively addicted. And then they could come to me and work on their trauma. As clinicians, we have an ethical responsibility to not work outside of our scope of practice or expertise. We have an ethical responsibility for that because there's an understanding that I don't have all the information that I need, all the understanding that I need to help you in the way that you need and deserve to be helped. Same thing with eating disorders. Again, eating disorders and and childhood trauma, particularly sexual trauma, are very, very closely linked. I am eating disorder informed. (laughs) I've had even some trainings on eating disorders. But if somebody contacted me who had an eating disorder, I would sometimes refer them out or, particularly with eating disorders, what I would sometimes do especially if they had had treatment previously, is I might agree to work with them on trauma, but they had to agree to see somebody in addition to monitor their eating disorder. So sometimes a psychiatrist, um, sometimes a nutritionist, depending on where they were in their eating disorder, but they had to agree to get support from somebody who had experience and expertise in working with people. So for example, if I would refer to a nutri- or if somebody wanted to work with a nutritionist, it would have to be somebody obviously who maybe has a close relationship with a psychiatrist. And so they have a lot of experience working with people with eating disorders. So when they're working with somebody on their nutrition, then they've got that experience, they've got that information, they are informed on those things. So that person is going to be monitoring, I'm going to be monitoring and working on their trauma. So even as a trauma therapist, even though trauma may be the core issue that has gotten them to the point of having an eating disorder or an addiction, I still would not be the person who helped them work through that issue. So When there is childhood trauma, interpersonal trauma, prolonged trauma, it is important to work with a clinician who is not just trauma-informed. That's good, but it's important to be able to work with somebody who has specific training in working with trauma survivors beyond any specific modality. So not just somebody who's an expert in trauma because they're EMDR trained. You need to look at what kind of experience do they have? Do they do any other sort of work beyond EMDR? Not just somebody who works with somatic experiencing. That can be important and that can be really helpful, but what other training do they have around trauma? These are important things. Those things can be helpful in trauma, in treating trauma, in managing symptoms. But psychological trauma, particularly, again, childhood trauma, is multi-layered. And no one thing, not even just talk therapy, can help, or, or sorry, it actually can help, but not one particular type of therapy is going to heal the complexity, the totality 
of the trauma. Doesn't mean that you need to see a bunch of different people, but you need to see somebody who incorporates these different things. So even if you are working with somebody who is experienced in trauma, you can still work with other people, kind of adjunct professionals or people um, that can help. So um, you you might want to work with a coach that can help you on mindset or um, maybe can give you more um, point of contact through the week. So maybe can just be there to support you, kind of like a paraprofessional in an inpatient unit might. So they can be there for you. They can be um, available to access if you just kind of need support to get through something in particular. I mean, some a lot of therapists will do that too, but maybe not quite as readily available. Um, you might work with a yoga person. You might work with a mindfulness coach. You might work with a, um, I don't know, dietitian or even a fitness trainer who might be trauma-informed. So there are a lot of different other, there may be a lot of other people that can help you with your trauma in terms of symptoms, right? Like, for example, tapping is something that a lot of people are using. And and it's talked about in terms of healing trauma. I don't even have any anecdotal evidence that that is actually real um, or true. Um, it can help with symptoms, though. And there's a difference between helping decrease or mitigate symptoms and actually healing the complexity of trauma. But sure, mindfulness is a really important part of symptom reduction and, I believe, even healing trauma. But doing that by itself, especially with somebody who doesn't have the full understanding of trauma and everything it entails, that can actually create more difficulty for people. I did a video a while ago on the missing piece of the documentary Heal. And I talked about this in that video, but I want to restate this here. In one of the pieces, there was somebody who experienced childhood trauma, I believe. I don't remember if it was sexual trauma or not, but um, I believe that there was some childhood trauma. And this person had been struggling in their adult life. I don't think that they were identifying specifically as a childhood trauma survivor, just that they were having a lot of issues. I think she had skin issues, if I remember correctly. And she went to somebody who um, did tapping. And so as the person is relaying some of the trauma that she had experienced, the person is having her tap and she asked her afterwards, how are you feeling? And the person felt better. Well, that's generally going to happen when you are finally allowing yourself to express what you've been carrying around for a long time, you're likely going to feel better. The tapping may have some benefit um, because it's touching on different points in your body. There may be some benefit in some symptom reduction, some anxiety reduction in particular. So you may feel better. But I don't remember if it was the next day or a few days later, I don't remember exactly, that person went back. That person was actually struggling more. I'm almost positive if I remember correctly. That person was actually struggling more. She had become very emotional, I believe, afterwards than she had been before. Well, why is that? 
It's not because she failed at it. It's because, particularly one time, is not even beginning to get at the reality of the depth of impact of psychological trauma. Tapping is symptom reduction. Symptom reduction is not healing trauma. It is a part of the work that you need to do. But it is not doing the healing. Just like with cancer treatment, mindfulness can go a long way in helping ease the nausea and the pain. But it's not healing or curing the cancer. It's not shrinking the tumors. But it goes a long way in reducing the symptoms. Getting massage can go a long way in reducing the constriction and the pain in your body. But it's not curing it. Doing grounding exercises. I talk all the time about grounding exercises. Grounding exercises are an important part of ultimately healing trauma. But they, in and of themselves, do not heal the multi-layers. So I'm not suggesting that there aren't people or pieces of things that you can do outside of work with a therapist that aren't helpful, because there are. I suggest things to people all the time. But the reason that I think this is so important is because when we as trauma survivors do these things that are supposed to help us, whether it's reading a book on our own or going to this coach or this healer because they're helping you, they're healing your trauma. When you go to them, you often end up feeling worse in part because it might bring up a lot of things that you've done a really good job at pushing away. So you might end up feeling worse in that way. But what you're also going to end up with is continuing to struggle, but then beating yourself up because you are struggling. You're going to judge yourself. You're going to be really harsh with yourself, blaming yourself because there's something just so wrong with you. You're too damaged. You're not strong enough. And that's why you continue to struggle. That's what people say to themselves all the time. But it's not you. It is not you. It's that the the support or the help, the things that you're doing to to heal your trauma are not actually designed to heal the layers of your trauma. They are designed to help with symptoms. They are designed to help be supportive aspects of healing your trauma. And I can't even begin to tell you how many people have reached out to me or that I have worked with who have done some of these things. And some of it has been recent and they found somebody online. They've done a search online for healing trauma or whatever it is. And they find somebody or they look up on social media or they see a sponsored ad to heal your trauma and they work with them. And maybe they do feel better for a little while. Because again, when you start talking about it, when somebody is there and supporting you and cheering you on and believing you, 
That's important. We need that. And it does feel good. And you might feel this release of all the stuff that you've been holding on to. But inevitably, because you're not healing those layers, it's temporary. And it breaks my heart to hear from somebody. It's just going to make me emotional. Because I hear from people so often. It breaks my heart to hear when somebody says, I've done this and I've done that. I've hired this person. I've read these books. I've done this course. And I feel worse now. Maybe there really isn't any hope for me. Maybe I'm too damaged. Maybe I'm not strong enough. That's not it. It is not at all because you are not capable or worthy or strong enough. Never. It's just that you haven't been able to find the right support. And it is important for us to have the right support. If you're in a relationship and you're wanting to work on your relationship, you and your partner want to work on your relationship, it's important to work with somebody who has experience working with couples. I learned very early in my private practice career (laughs) that that is not something I was going to be doing. I would see people on occasion, they would bring their partner in with them. Um, But in terms of doing couples work, that requires some very specific training because it's a whole different dynamic. And that reminds me, this has been a while ago now, I saw a sponsored ad on my social media feed from, I think, Udemy or or one of those types of places for a become a relationship expert or counselor. I know that they used expert and counselor um, as well. They use both terms. It was a course that you buy for, I don't know, $60, $100 or something like that with six videos. And it actually said on there, become, I think it's a relationship counselor. So what does it mean to be a counselor? Most people think a counselor, when it comes to something like this, has a certain level of expertise, education, training. And again, it may be different in different countries. But in the U.S., when you hear, when you see somebody advertise as a relationship counselor, you're likely going to think, that they have the qualifications to be a counselor. It also said, and so I think it did say counselor for that. And then if you looked at it, it said, basically, call. you can call yourself, after this course, you can call yourself a relationship expert. Now think about that. Anybody can take this course. A teenager could take the course. Somebody who has absolutely no training, no education in anything related to mental health or even relationships can take this course and decide, oh, I want to do that. Now, again, this isn't their fault. (laughs) They take this course, they spend their $70, $100, they build a very easy website, they spend a little money on social media advertising, 
I'm a relationship counselor and an expert, and I can help you navigate the infidelity in your relationship or navigate the whatever is going on in your relationship. That's not okay. It's not okay to market to the people who then believe that they can do that. It's not okay for that person to turn around and call themselves an expert and that they can help you navigate the complexity of relationships. So clearly I have strong feelings about this. It really is not my desire to um, make anybody who is doing this to feel bad. It is not. I, 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 it really is not my intention at all, nor my desire. I just ask you to, to consider what I have shared. For those of you who maybe have worked with somebody, who you've maybe paid somebody in some way to help you heal your trauma, I'm definitely not, it is not my desire nor intention to make you feel like you've made a wrong decision, that you shouldn't have done it, not at all. For you, my desire is for you to recognize that if you've done that and you're still struggling, that it's not you, that it makes perfect sense that you would still struggle. And my intention is to help educate all of you about what trauma-informed actually means. We want trauma-informed people. We want trauma-informed professionals. But trauma-informed does not qualify you to help anybody heal trauma, nor absolutely does it qualify you to heal somebody's trauma. In fact, if anybody says to you that they can heal your trauma, that's a very big red flag that they don't understand the reality of what is required in healing trauma because nobody can heal your trauma other than you. You need support. You need somebody who can help you. But you heal your trauma with that support. Nobody can heal your trauma. Thank you so much for spending this time and sharing this space with me. Together we heal. Make sure to subscribe. And if you haven't yet, make sure to leave a review. I'll look forward to connecting with you next time.